All right, so uh, happy Easter again. Today is Easter Sunday. And every Easter around this time, churches around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On this day, we remember and we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, was um, three days after he was crucified, dead, and buried on Good Friday. Now, most American churches... Sorry for that emergency. Lost the cat. So. Most American churches treat Easter Sunday like it's uh, this big day of victory. They like to sing and shout with songs of praise. Uh, some people, some churches like wave flags. Some churches dance uh, and shout for joy. And the pastor often comes up and starts like yelling like he's on drugs. Uh, but I'm not going to do that today because I'm actually thinking about what Resurrection Sunday was really like on, in the first century when Jesus actually resurrected on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. Many people didn't realize that when Jesus resurrected, it was actually a pretty quiet event. There weren't thousands of people around, okay? There, was, there wasn't no like big party or big celebration, it actually started quite small, and then it grew, but no more than a few hundred people witnessed Jesus's resurrected body. And yet the way the early church treats it is very different, like it's some huge party, like as if uh, we, we won a victory after a big battle or uh, a, a huge war. It started with a relatively small group of people. And then over time, Jesus, appeared to, uh, Jesus appeared to dozens more and then hundreds more in the 40 days that he remained here on earth before he ascended into heaven. So it wasn't even all at once. He appeared to hundreds of people over a period of 40 days. And the reason why it was kind of a, a quiet event is because there were still a lot of crazy things happening in the world. It was still very, very difficult to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus's resurrection was merely the beginning. The Roman Empire, uh, the powerful Roman Empire still dominated most of the known world in the first century. The church hadn't actually even started yet. <laughs> and Jesus left it up to these like ragtag group of followers to start the church these random fishermen, a former prostitute, a, a, a middle-aged mom, and a, a former tax collector, a, a religious zealot. And the earliest followers of Jesus would face some of the most intense persecutions history has ever documented under the command of bloodthirsty tyrants like the Emperor Nero. And what they were experiencing, and, and the reason why I mention all of this is because it does kind of relate to the situation that we're in right now, because they are experiencing the resurrection after an intense crisis. They just witnessed their master, their rabbi, their leader be treated like a criminal and then hung on the cross. That's traumatic. 
that's a crisis. And we are all coming out of two years of a crisis, right? And we've all kind of gone through these like traumatic experiences. And so uh, I, I looked up uh, what it's like to be in a crisis and uh, I found this uh, online. Um, there are different psychologists and uh, sociologists who study crisis and there, there are some that have like five stages or some that have like seven stages, but I found this one to be the most uh, clear and simple. Uh, crisis has four distinct phases. Uh, the first one is called prodromal, uh, pre-crisis. This is like the warning stage. I don't know if you all remember like in the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019, uh, you, we heard murmurings about this crazy pandemic. <laughs> That was like uh, happening over in um, Asia and then like it, it might make its way over to America. Um, and then there's acute, which is the crisis itself. There's no turning back now. We will lose some ground, events will occur and you may experience uh, some damage. In our case, we experienced a lot of damage. And then there's uh, stage three, which is chronic uh, or cleanup. And this is sometimes referred to as the cleanup phase. And it's a time to breathe a sigh of relief because you survived, okay? You fought your way through upheaval, financial stress, management shakeups, so on and so forth. But it's kind of like um, if, if uh, like after a hurricane or after a tornado, you come out of the bomb shelter, uh, you, come out of, uh, out of, uh, you come out out of your home and you look at the rubble, you look at the mess, right? And you start, kind of uh, bringing the damaged pieces back together and trying to repair, okay? And then the last one is crisis resolution or post-crisis. And this is the turning point where you can take, turn a challenge into an opportunity. Now, if I were to ask you where you think we are currently, where would you say we are? Stage three, yeah? Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I think we're definitely in stage three, but we're like just starting off in stage three. Doesn't it feel like it? Like maybe for some, it kind of feels like we're still in a crisis. So that line between stage two and stage three is like kind of blurry. Uh, but I think most people by and large would agree that we are in stage three of a crisis, which is the cleanup phase, right? We've survived a global pandemic. It's lasted gosh, over two years. And now we're like looking at the rubble. We're looking at the mess. And we're like, geez, Louise, like, how do we put our lives back together? And when, the, when this pandemic first hit like two years ago, um, I was so naive and so uh, short-sighted. I thought, oh, it's going to get better after a few weeks. <laughs> Then a few weeks pass, and I'm like, oh, it'll get better after a few months. Then a few months pass, I'm like, oh, it'll get better after a year. <laughs> right? And then I'm like, oh, it'll get better after two years, right? And then now after two years, it's finally like calmed down. And personally, in my life, I entered a new crisis where my marriage fell apart. Now, I've been sharing with most of you individually that uh, my wife of like 15 and a half years um, and the woman that I've been with for like 20 years, uh, very recently, our uh, 
uh, marriage kind of fell apart. Like we separated, we amicably parted ways. And now I'm back in the middle of stage two. And I was racking my brain how to prepare a message for Easter when emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I'm kind of a mess. And the only thing I could honestly cling on to right now is hope, is hope. And really that's like the main reason why Jesus did what he did. That's the main reason why Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and then resurrected to give us hope. It all starts with hope. You know, if you think about it, like, yes, Jesus came to give us peace. Yes, he came to give us joy. Yes, he came to give us life. But it all starts with hope. It's the hope that we will have peace. It's the hope that we will have joy. And it's the hope that we will have life. And that's really the central truth of today's message. And this is what God has been putting on my heart, is that Jesus resurrected to give us hope. That's what this day means to me. And this is what God intended for this day to mean for all of his followers. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? you don't have your Bibles, um, we put it up here on the screen. It's in very small font, but I think most of us can read it. And for those of you watching online, I'll read it for us right now. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. Um, let's pray. Lord, as we remember this Easter Sunday, how you took the debt of our shortcomings, our mistakes, our failures upon your shoulders and carried them 
on the cross. He died the death that we should have died. And you resurrected so that we can have new life, so that we can have hope. Lord, would you spark in us the hope that has been lying dormant in our spirits for far too long. Would you awaken in us a new life, a new joy, a new peace that can only come from you, that cannot come from the world. We pray all this in your name, amen. All right, so Luke 24, it is the first uh, news of Jesus's resurrection. Let me go back to the slide. Now, the very interesting thing about Jesus's resurrection is that the first people who discovered it were not whom you expected them to be. It was a group of women, okay? It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't a group of religious leaders. It wasn't even a group of men. It was a group of women. And the people that we have here in today's passage are uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and some other women whom are too insignificant to even name. Mary Magdalene, a former prostitute who became one of Jesus's most devoted followers. Joanna, who was a woman who had this medical condition. So she used to be a, an outcast, a social outcast, and Jesus healed her. And then there's uh, this random mom, <laughs> Mary, mother of James, and some other women, okay? So we, all, we know that uh, they're all women who came to Jesus's tomb very early on Sunday morning. Now, Jesus died on Good Friday, and they came to, the, they waited an entire day, a full day, and then came on early Sunday morning. And the reason why they had to do this was because these women were very religious. They were very devout Jews. And on Saturday was Sabbath, and they could not uh, go to the tomb. They could not do any kind of work. Okay, they were uh, limited even to the number of steps they could take on a Saturday. And so very early in the morning, on Sunday morning, that was the earliest opportunity that they had to visit their rabbi, to visit their master, to visit their leader after he was crucified. So this just kind of shows the kind of heart, the kind of love, the kind of dedication, and the kind of faithfulness that these women had. Now, What's interesting is that throughout Jesus's ministry, right, uh, he gained a lot of momentum, right? And near the end of his ministry, he was like a spectacle. Like most of the Jews in the Middle East knew who Jesus was, or they heard about him. These rumors that possibly the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for for thousands of years, thousands of years has finally arrived. And so over time, his following grew uh, tremendously. When Jesus fed multitudes of people with five loaves and two fish, there were thousands of people, thousands of people. Last Sunday, when we remembered Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem, there were thousands of people to welcome him, to greet him. And on Good Friday, when Jesus was tortured, tried as a criminal, died on the cross, there were thousands of people to witness him 
hanging there on the tree. Yet on the day that he resurrected, it was a relatively small group of people who discovered it. It started with a few women, and then they told the disciples, and then word spread, and eventually many of Jesus's followers came to experience it. But not thousands of people, okay, like the miracles, like his um, entrance into Jerusalem, like his death. It started with a few dozen, and then a few hundred, over 40 days. And it's also really interesting that Jesus would make his resurrection known first to a group of women, women who were treated like second-class citizens in the first century. Not only women, a former prostitute, Joanna, who used to be a former outcast because of her medical condition that Jesus healed her from, and a random middle-aged mom, (laughs) and some other women. These women like the 12 disciples, were wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. But because of that society at the time, they couldn't be named one of Jesus' official disciples. Uh, But God used this group of women to be the first people to preach about Jesus' resurrection to others. And they would be the ones to tell the disciples what had happened, not the other way around. So that just shows what kind of place women have in Jesus's family. And when they shared this news, okay, many of the disciples were in disbelief because they saw with their eyes what had happened. They were there when Jesus died. They buried him, right? And so when we think about this theme of hope, right, hope is not delusional, okay? Hope doesn't pretend like everything's okay, In fact, hope is very realistic, okay? Hope is actually realistic. Hope does not turn a blind eye to current realities. Hope sees the current circumstances for how they truly are and also knows that they are temporary. Um, I found this uh, helpful chart on um, this psychology uh, website. And this is some of the differences between being hopeless and hopeful. Hopeless people, the way they think is, uh, I can't cope. I don't see a way out. I'm so upset with everything. People with hope think, uh, I need help with this. We can get through this. This is a setback, but we can adjust. Uh, Hopeless people feel uh, very frightened, very worried, and uh, hopeless, obviously. Uh, Hopeful people feel anxious, determined, um, and hopeful. Um, Sometimes I kind of waver back and forth between these two, if I'm being completely honest. And part of it is probably because the stuff that I'm dealing with right now is like so fresh and raw. So... Uh, I I do feel afraid sometimes, if I'm being honest. Um, I constantly feel anxious, um, but I'm getting there. And lastly, uh, when it comes to behavior, uh, people without hope tend to like stay in bed, um, have constant fights with loved ones, and they tend to isolate and withdraw. People with hope uh, reach out for help, get support from loved ones, 
and keep in contact with others. So what I really like about this simple chart is that people with hope, it's not like they're pretending like everything's fine. You know, uh, they know that they're in a difficult situation, uh, but they have hope and hope is kind of like what keeps them going and uh, helps them to engage in healthy activities. And as we noticed in today's passage, hope grows over time. It starts small, like this little group of women who found out about Jesus' resurrection. And then they told the disciples and then word spread. So hope, it can start very, very small. For me, sometimes just making my bed in the morning is a win. Sometimes uh, going to therapy is a big win. Sometimes having lunch with a friend is a win. And this reminds me also that hope is really meant and designed to be shared. Hope is best when it's shared. Something that I've been grateful for um, is our little church community uh, regularly checking in on me, asking me to grab meals. Um, Jake's taking me to a Dodger game on Tuesday. <laughs> um, and just to make sure I'm not alone, you know? Um, yeah, we're, we're small, but like, I think part of the reason why it's been so helpful being a small community is like, people know my business, <laughs> like really, really well, very, very intimately, maybe a little too intimately sometimes. Um, but uh, so I, I can't really hide from my people, you know? Sometimes if, if a community is like too big, uh, you just kind of become like, like a drop in this like huge ocean <laughs> and uh, you're practically like invisible. But because we're so small and because we're so um, relatively young and we're new, people know my business. And because they know my business, um, it's hard to isolate myself for too long. And that is actually a huge gift. It's, it's natural for me. <laughs> to want to isolate myself. And I think over the past two years, most of us have seen some of the damaging effects of being isolated for too long, right? Uh, when left to ourselves for too long, people begin to lose hope. People begin to lose hope. I see it in the hospital where I work every week. There are directly related COVID uh, health cases or deaths, right, where people die from COVID complications. But there are also indirect related COVID deaths where people are like binging on alcohol or they overdose or they just don't take care of themselves and they just neglect their physical health because they're isolated, because they're depressed, because they're not connected in relationships. And even in prison, even in prison, right? Uh, there are so many scary things about prison. Like I'm like deathly afraid of ever going to prison. Um, but one of the most cruelest forms of punishment in prison is what? Solitary. Solitary. That's one of the cruelest forms of punishment. When you leave someone alone in a dark room for days on end. I mean, they still give them food and water, right? They have like basic necessities to live but they're isolated for days. They go crazy, people go crazy. 
So if you want to be full of hope, be, be with people, <laughs> be with community, people who are healthy for you, people who will like breathe life into you, people who will care about you. And I'm not just talking about like people who like you have fun with or, you know, you go partying with, okay? I'm talking about people who genuinely care about your well-being, your emotional, spiritual health. If you want to be depressed, uh, if you want to be hopeless, if you want to be angry and bitter, uh, isolate yourself. Cut yourself off from people. Hope is meant to be shared. And last but not least, and this is very important, I'm realizing this more and more every day, is that hope requires effort. Hope requires oftentimes a lot of effort. Yes, Jesus did the work on the cross. Yes, Jesus is the one who resurrected. And yes, Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life. But we still have to make an effort. We still have to make an effort to connect with God. We still have to make an effort to take care of our spiritual health, our well-being. We still have to make an effort to connect with one another. Hope doesn't just happen. A lot of other stuff just happens. <laughs> but hope does not just happen. Hope requires a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and a lot of intentionality. There is an energy and life that is shared communally when people come together, and it cannot be replaced by social media, by podcasts, or even by Zoom. Thank you for everyone watching online today. <laughs> being in the presence of God, being in the presence of real people, there is this life and energy that is collectively shared and experienced that cannot be substituted with artificial things. And part of the reason why this is the case is because it's by design. I don't know about you, but like, I remember when I was a kid, because uh, I didn't really grow up with internet. So when I'm alone for too long, uh, I, I feel it, right? I, I feel it in my body. I feel it in my spirit or something. And I just need to like be with my friends. I just need to be with people, right? And I feel when I'm isolated for too long that I need to get out there and I need to actually put in effort to connect. And this is a huge reason why church exists. Okay, church exists for the sake of us collectively sharing hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in being a part of God's family and hope that we can share in together. And this is also why Jesus came to earth. He came to give us life when we could not find it ourselves. He came to give us peace when we could not find it in the world. And he came to give us hope when there was no hope to be found. So why was the resurrection of Jesus Christ so low key 2000 years ago? Why wasn't it this spectacular event where there were thousands of people, like the feeding of the thousands, um, like Jesus entering into Jerusalem, even like Jesus' death on the cross? Why wasn't it more of a spectacle? Well, it's because the resurrection of Jesus is not for the crowds. It's for his followers. When Jesus fed thousands of people, 
Those were crowds. First day of the week, very early in the morning. What the? <laughs> oh, that's creepy. <laughs> it was for the crowds. When Jesus entered into the holy city of Jerusalem, that was for the crowds. That was like an event. That was a spectacle. Even when Jesus died on the cross, that was a historic event. It was a spectacle. But Jesus' resurrection is not for the crowds. It's not for the spectators. It's for his followers. It's for his disciples. So while the hope of Easter is transforming and it gives us new life, it still requires a lot of effort on our part. The hope of Easter is, and oftentimes it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. That's what I'm hoping, holding on to this Easter season, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Let's take a minute or two, just on our own, individually, praying your own prayers to God, and maybe even allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let her speak words of truth, of peace, and ultimately joy and hope. And invite the Holy Spirit to lead you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have on this Easter Sunday. While it's easy to pretend like everything's back to normal and to just force celebration and victory, it, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that's not how it is. We are all coming out of very diff difficult past two years. And we are coming out of our bomb shelters, out of our bunkers, and looking at the damage. And we're trying to repair these broken pieces. And ultimately, we need you. We need your help to put us back together and make us whole. Lord, we ask that you would give us life when we feel depleted. You would give us joy when we feel depressed and you would give us hope, eternal hope when we feel hopeless. We thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives individually and also collectively. I thank you for my community. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the people that you have put in my life to remind me that you love me 
And I pray that every single one of us have that same hope, the hope that we can find in Jesus Christ. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.